There's a huge sports card boom happening right now, and The Ringer has it covered on our new podcast, Sports Card Nonsense. We're doing it twice a week with hosts Gio and Jesse. I went on this week. I'm on the Friday episode. You get to hear me talk about cards for 80 minutes. Sports Cards Nonsense, only available on The Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game, pull off some bank heists, and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right. The hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards. Make your friends bankrupt by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball. Charge other players rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chests and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network where we have a bunch of shows that have gone up over the last few days. We're really we're really flying right now. Uh, one big note though, Binge Mode finally finished the uh, Marvel season. They went ran through all the Marvel movies. So congratulations to Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion for finishing that project. Very enjoyable. Coming up, Zach Lowe and I are going to talk about a sport that we both like that's played with a round orange ball. It is called basketball. That is next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Zach Lowe is here. He used to work with me on a place called Grantland. We've known each other for a long time. We always have fun when we do these. Right now is a great time to have Zach on. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, your favorite topic, when people get snubbed from the All-Star game. I know you spent a lot of time just bemoaning snubs. Oh, wait. No, you hate it just as much as I do. There's only 24 spots at the All-Star game. Why do we get so bit out of shape every year? This really annoys me. Yeah, you know, it's it's not advanced stats. You get 12 spots, that's all you get. So when LeBron tweets, Devin Booker's the most disrespected player in the league, I love Devin Booker. I've been a Devin Booker stockholder for many, many years. There's only 12 spots, so LeBron should be required. The real act of disrespect would be LeBron naming who has to come off the team for Devin Booker to come on the team. Now, it ended up being Anthony Davis, so everyone gets off scot-free. But yeah, there's only... There's only 12. If your guy doesn't make it, it's not because we hate your guy. or the co- It's the coaches. Blame the coaches. There were some specific arguments. I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's annoying, but it was basically like Mitchell or Conley. 
Uh, Devin Booker or Chris Paul, Chris Middleton or Julius Randle. Like you could just go down the line and it's like, it was an either or situation. I think the one that I probably flipped on at the tail end, even after I gave my picks was Levine, who I just didn't want to buy into. He's a good team, a uh, good stats, bad team guy. But every time I watch the Bulls, it just feels like he can go toe to toe offensively against whoever the best guy is on the other team. And he kind of wore me down. So I, I think he ended up pulling my 12 spot away from me, probably over like Bam or whoever. Um, were you okay with Zach Levine getting in? He was on my fake ballot. I, I still, there's part of me that's still skeptical about me too. Zach Levine is, it, it, but, but part of it is context, right? Like if he were on Miami with Jimmy and Bam as like a second option kind of guy he would look uh, who didn't have to who they have guys that can cover for him on defense he would look incredible so i'm a little skeptical still just the turn it's the turnovers and the deep the, the turnovers are so lethal those live ball turnovers that just turn into pick six for the other team are, are just lethal the defense is fine i think people are exaggerating how much better he's gotten on defense as part of this argument to build zach levine up into like a martyr but yeah. he's but the off like the shooting it's just, it's just ridiculous how effortless it is for him to just just get to the rim like it's like nobody's there. As a perimeter offensive player, he's probably like an eight and a half or a nine out of ten on the wow factor with some of the shots he makes, especially late, and how effortless he makes it look. Uh, where you're just like, you, there's a guy draped all over him, and he still makes a twenty five foot over the hand in his face, and you're just like, wow, nothing you can do about that one. I think Tatum is. Another example of somebody who occasionally just makes these shots where you're like, wow, that was amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm okay with, I'm okay with the Zach Levine thing. And you think about who is the team that had the, the, uh, restricted free agent offer to him who got, it Sac got matched. Sacramento, Sacramento. How many times has that happened to them where they've had the, uh, restricted free, what's, what do we call it? Not restricted free agent. Why am I blanking? Yeah, no, they, he was yeah. a restricted free agent. It was an offer sheet. How many Sacramento guys have they gotten boned on one way or the other? Because Bogdanovich was one the other way. I don't know if it was if it if they were restricted. I don't think many of them were, but for a while they were like the stalking horse for everybody who wanted right. fake leverage, like uh um Monte Ellis, I think, yeah, had yeah. a King's <laughs> offer. Andre Guadala like had a nice right. little dalliance with the Kings. They were like everybody's like, Oh yeah, Vivek. Because Vivek offered me four years fifty-five. You gotta come higher. Yeah. That would be my move if I was a terrible franchise. I would be all in on the restricted guys on July 1st or whatever the date is. Because at the very least, competitively, you're screwing up somebody else, right? And who knows? You might get one of them. Well, the, Nets, have, were, uh, the Nets were the kings of that with Otto Porter, Alan Crabb, and Tyler Johnson. They were just like, hey, sign these horrible things. They, Otto Porter has one where it's like he gets half his salary immediately in like the first paycheck of the season. So oh there's like crazy clauses. It might not be exactly that, but it's like half his salary is comes much earlier than is normally scheduled. Yeah, they screwed up a lot of teams. Alan Crabb, I feel like he has a bad PR agent when we talk about the uh, the famous summer of 2016. I don't feel like he gets mentioned. He, people, he, he, people default to Joakim Noah and Evan Turner and Bismack Biombo and Alan Crabb, they, they just skip over. Wasn't he that summer too? I think or was so. he the and year then, before? And the plots was his, I think he was that summer, and the plots was his, the Nets then still acquired him later in the game. It like got very excited about it. <laughs> uh, All-Star, the most fun argument out of it, which we litigated here already and you did too, but just to have two starting spots for Curry and Luka and Dame. 
and having to pick between, where did you land? I forget. Who did you pick for those two? Curry, Curry made it for you, but where did you go with the other one? Curry and Dame. Curry and Dame. I mean, like- And where- the Luca dame thing went back and forth, and then Luca he beat Curry when they had the Saturday night game. Luca won that one, and it's like, ah, uh, it was just a great battle. Good rock, paper, scissors. You can't, you can't go wrong. They're all amazing. It's no act of disrespect to any of the three of them. One of them's got to come off the bench. I just think Dame... Now, the Blazers are on this losing streak now, but that happened after we all had to, you know, make our picks or whatever. But I think Dame had just hit so many ridiculous clutch shots. Of course, Luca just killed your team with two ridiculous clutch shots. But again, that was after the after the picks had to be made. So I, I went Dame. They're all amazing. These guys are amazing. Chris Haynes was the one who killed Dame's season because he talked about how he was a stealth MVP candidate a week ago. And it just felt like it sent Portland season into a tailspin. By the way... I agreed with Chris Haynes. Like Dame, what he was doing, they were 18 and 10 when he said it. Now they're in a tailspin. I don't want to spend too much time speaking of tailspin on the Celtics, but uh, you know, everyone's hitting me up. What's going on with this team? And I do feel like there were just some bad luck moments that now they have added up. But when you think like every time they feel like they're about to get momentum again, you know, the New Orleans game was an amazing loss. I don't know if you watched that game. I but did. There was ni- 19 different times they could have won the game. The refereeing was just abysmal. Um, it was just a really stupid loss. It was one of those where you're like, ah, that's one of the worst losses of the year. And then it's compounded by the Dallas game two nights later where I actually thought they played well. They had a heroic comeback at the end. Luca hit two amazing shots. And... The first three he hit, their defense was the best defense they played all season. They, they for 20 seconds, did everything perfectly. And it ended up with Luca having to hit like a step back 27-footer with a hand in his face. And he made it. And then the defense fell apart a little bit the second time. But it was one of those things where it's like, man, that's a tough loss. But maybe there's some signs of promise. And then they get murdered the next night by Atlanta. And now Boston's in a complete panic. Can I can I just be the boring guy for a second? Yeah, be the boring guy. Do do, do the thing where you say, "Hey, it's a long season." Well, but it's not. It, it is a long season, but okay. So they've had the talent drain has now caught up to them, right? Like Kyrie, obviously gone, replaced with Kemba, who's a shell of himself and missed half the season. Um, Al Horford, people forget because it's now two teams ago. Like they could use his IQ and playmaking. They have zero playmaking on the floor other than the the two-star players. And then now Kemba is is back to himself. Hayward left for nothing. You don't think they could use Gordon Hayward's like secondary playmaking, some shooting, left for nothing. Trade exception, doesn't play any games, hasn't played any games. Um, remember Kevin McHale had that great, that great quote about cap space. He was like, oh, cap space, good old cap. Put his name back on the jersey, good old cap. Hasn't, <laughs> right. hasn't played. Kevin McHale's the best. Um, yeah, and, but that's what and, they got. They got cap space. And smarts hurt. Like, they just don't have a lot of good players right now. And I think if you... I looked at their schedule earlier today. They've played a ridiculous amount of games in the last 25 days. or It's like 14 games in 24 days. So they're probably out of gas. They'll be okay. They'll get rolling. They'll get in a groove when they get everybody back. But I do think now you have to recalibrate. Like, this team doesn't look like a team that's going to get in the Brooklyn-Milwaukee, maybe Philly conversation. Agree even if they hit their stride. Now, maybe we're underestimating them, but like something's just not right in the water right now. Yeah, because we know Philly's better. We know Brooklyn's much better. And Milwaukee is either about the same or worse. It's just Philly and Brooklyn got better and Boston is worse. And from a scoring standpoint, 
even though we'll get to my favorite team in the NBA, Charlotte, in a second, but um, you watch Charlotte at the end of games and they have all these dudes who can create a shot for themselves or somebody else. You watch at the end of a Celtic game and they have two guys who can create a shot. And then when Marcus comes back, you have a third guy who can create a shot, but you're not always sure you want him to create a shot. You know, it's like, eh, not, I'm not sure I want Marcus Smart deciding my game. We've gotten to the point where I actually miss Marcus Smart. Um, you talked about all the people they lost. And this is a point I made last year with Rosillo. And he was taken aback, but I think he came around to it where I was like, I, I felt like the Celtics missed their window last year. And it's weird to say that about a team that has two great young stars like they have. But that was such an awesome spot for them to be in. And the Hayward injury, I feel like if he doesn't get hurt, I think they absolutely make the finals. And I think they almost made the finals anyway. You go back to that Miami series and you think like that Tyler Hero game was such an aberration, not just for the playoffs, but for every moment of his career. He's never had a game like that before or since, along with the Jimmy Butler game too. And you just look back at that series and you're like, man, how did they not make the finals? And same thing for 2018 with all the injuries. And maybe, maybe that was a three-year window and maybe you have to start thinking it that way. It's depressing, but it's a fact. Yeah, that's a little dark. I think that's Thanks. a little dark. Well, I'm they in a have, dark place. They have these two, and they lost the first game of that, that Heat game in overtime. The Heat came back in the end of regulation in that game, yes. if I recall. Or, um, they should have um, split one of those first two, and they didn't. I mean, look, a lot has gone wrong for the Celtics. Part of it, again, is that... Um, Kemba, just like all of this is Kemba's got to be Kemba for them to have any chance of where they to get where they want to go. Agree. And he's the Kyrie replacement, right? He's the he's the guy who minimizes that talent drain. But as long as you have those two young wings, like you're in an okay spot. You know, it, it's not awesome that all the dra extra draft picks are now gone and some of them didn't turn into exactly what the Celtics had hoped. But you know, a lot of teams would trade plays with the Celtics if if they were asked. You know, that theoretical. I don't even want Kemba to be Kyrie. Can he be Terry Rozier? Ooh, it's dark, man. That's so Terry Rozier is making shots. Terry he's, not a play, he's not twenty a points a game. He's not a playmaker, but no. he he's making he's shooting like forty five percent from three or something crazy. Do you think there's any lessons to be taken from the last five years with the Celtics, where they basically stockpiled all these picks, they banked on that Sacramento pick and that Memphis pick? to basically strike gold again, like they did with Tatum um, and Brown. Um, and they kind of, their plan was, we're just going to keep taking swings, but we're never going to go all in on a move or we're never going to leverage this potential of the future pick for a player right now, any of that stuff. And now they're just kind of stuck with all these non-lottery picks. Do you think anyone else in the league is looking at that? Like, for example, Golden State. Golden State has this awesome Minnesota pick. Top three protected this year, unprotected next year. Golden State's pretty good. Golden State's getting an unbelievable Curry season. You could argue maybe they cash in that Minnesota pick right now because maybe it ends up in the top three this year. They don't get it. Maybe Minnesota's better next year and you're in the same situation the Celtics were in where it's like, oh shit, we thought this pick was going to be awesome. Now we're picking 14th. Maybe we should have cashed that in. Do you think the league even looks at that and wonders if the Celtics should have moved? I mean, there are four guys that you're talking about when you talk about this with Boston, right? Paul George, who they came so... I don't know what happened. It doesn't matter. Jimmy Butler, another guy they didn't get. And Kawhi, who's the third guy they didn't get. And 
And we, you know, and we both agreed with Kawhi that they should not have given up Jalen Brown for one year. Well, Kawhi. that's the thing. I mean, that's those are people. When Toronto was winning the championship, everybody was laughing at the Celtics for you didn't give up Jalen Brown for, just for this guy. Just won the, yeah, it was the just wrong, won the it was championship. The wrong take. And so you can't you can't just look at what's happening in front of you and spin backwards and rationalize it that way. Like Jalen Brown turned out to be amazing and the most likely outcome from the Celtics trading Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard is you don't win the championship and Kawhi Leonard leaves and then you have nothing. Maybe Jimmy Butler would have been a guy that stayed. I don't know. Maybe Paul George would have been a guy that stayed, but all of those are going to cost you something big. And then the fourth guy, and I think this is, if there's a lesson, maybe it's don't put too many of your eggs in one superstar basket, but you know better than I do. They were, they were eyeing Anthony Davis for three years. And Kyrie, when Wick Rousebeck came out today or whenever he did that radio interview and said, you know, Kyrie leaving really changed our plans. It had a whole domino effect. I don't know if he meant to imply it, but I, I, what I, what I implied myself is Kyrie was supposed to be the reason that Anthony Davis would resign in Boston if they went all in for him, right? Like Kyrie resigns, you throw all the chips that's necessary in to get Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis sees, sees this other superstar that the other superstars revere in the NBA for his ball handling. So it's all right, this is a place I want to be now. And all of those things went completely haywire. Yeah, and if we're playing the what-if game, Dave, for what... I don't know, you know, teams always love to say after the fact when they didn't get anybody or get the guy they want, well, we could have, but we don't know what happened. They, they they flipped on us. You never know what to believe. They thought they had Paul George that night. I think they did. And I think hmm. they were surprised by the OKC thing. I thought whether they thought they had the exact trade or they thought they were going to have the, I think they were really blindsided by the OKC, the old Depot and Sabonis trade. And you think about it, that leads to the Kyrie trade, right? Right, because they don't get Paul George, but they end up getting Kyrie. To me, the biggest what if out of all of this is what if Kyrie just stays with LeBron one more year and the Celtics can't trade for him? Because then they have that number eight pick from Brooklyn that turns out to be Colin Sexton, but they're going through that season. They would have no Kyrie, but they would have had Rozier playing more, but they would have also had this carrot of the number eight plus the future Memphis pick, you know, plus the Sacramento pick. And maybe that's when they would have made a move at some point. So you could drive yourself crazy with this stuff. I think they had really bad luck. I really do. And I, I think, you know, when people hold Ainge's draft record against them, they seem to conveniently forget the Rogier part, that Rogier was not a lottery pick who turned out to be a good player. And I, you know. Well, how about, how about, um, like Tatum Brown wasn't a consensus no. number three pick and Tatum for Fultz, like that was not, that was far from, a consensus like that's the smart thing to do. Everybody was head over heels from Markel. People tend to focus on like, well, he got James Young with 17 and Kelly Olynyk with 16 when Giannis was available and, you know, Jared Sullinger and on and on and on with these picks in the 15s and 20s. Just because a top three pick really hits, it seems obvious in retrospect. Of course, Jason Tatum, top three pick. But at the time, that was like a bold move. You know, it was it was a little bit against the grain even. I think the last two drafts are the ones you can hang them on because, and I've said it before, not, not trying to trade up for Halliburton, who I know you love now. I was telling you at the draft, I was going crazy. I love Halliburton so much. I feel like they could have overpaid to try to move up to the Phoenix spot. And then the year before, even getting somebody like Hero or whatever, it's just, they had a lot of swings 
at, at the pinata and somehow none of the candy fell out. And, you know, I like Peyton Pritchard, but if that's, if that's the best you did out of all those picks and you think like, even had they ended up with Thibault and not, not traded, uh, whatever weird trade they did to get the Carson Edwards, you know, they gave away Desmond mm-hmm. Bain. Some of that stuff's really weird. All right. We're not talking about the Celtics anymore. We're gonna take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to do league pass rankings, which we used to do on Grantland. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're back. So we used to do these together. We used to write combo columns once. It seems like a million years ago, right? It that was, was so it much was, fun. It, it was a frenetic 24-hour process, the back and forth. It's it's kind of amazing that we actually finished them. I, I don't even, my fingers don't even work anymore. It was more amazing when we would do the after the trade deadline back and forth, because that was like a sprint. But uh, the league pass, we used to really put time in. We came up with a whole awesome scoring system. And uh, and then you you have carried it on in ESPN, but that doesn't mean we can't do it right now. League pass rankings. Uh, I will let you have the first pick, and if our picks double, we will. Uh, we I'll just I'll chime in and say that we did it. But here here are the criteria for people listening at home who haven't heard this gimmick. League pass rankings. Most reliably entertaining team. Team that if there's 14 games on at once, you're flipping channels and you just kind of gravitate toward the team. Team you just can't believe you haven't gotten tired of watching. (laughs) Team that seems to be in the most fun games and bring the most fun out of the other team. Um, Just the most reliable entertainment team. Who is it for you? Uh, So we're doing top five. What are we doing? We're doing top five. So this is your number one choice right now. It it hurts me. It hurts me to make this pick a little bit. And I, I you never know what to do because a lot of these teams are on national TV a lot. Do they count as league pass teams? But I think right now you have to take Brooklyn number one. I think you have to. I don't want to because there's a team that I would otherwise take number one with my single favorite player to watch in the entire NBA. But right now, when they get KD back, I'm already watching them a, a fair bit. When they get KD back, I want to watch every single minute of like their first 10 games just to see what that looks like and how incredible it is. Um, so I, I have to, and you throw in Ian Eagle, Ryan Rucco. I got to give him, I got to give my friend Sarah Kustak a shout out. The best broadcast experience, Michael Grady, uh, I think top down in the NBA. So I'll go Brooklyn. It's an obvious answer. Though. I feel bad making that pick, but I, how can you not right now? They're the shiny new toy of the season. And sometimes we have seasons where we don't have a shiny new toy, right? And we just have to kind of play with the toys that we got a year ago. You have kids, you know, it's like, hey, go play with that thing we got you last Christmas. And the kid just wants to, to play no, with my the da- newest my thing. Da- my daughter's remote control car. Two yeah. days. That's it. Done. Just It just sits and gathers dust now. Brooklyn, which is a team that I'm just philosophically opposed to for just reasons like what Kyrie did to the Celtics. And now there's been this whole revisionist history. No, no, they, they, everybody loved them. Okay. 
Um, and then what Harden did to Houston, which he half-assed apologized for two weeks ago. Sorry about that. Sorry for quitting on everybody, but thanks for the memories. So, and then Durant, who, you know, was, wasn't happy playing on an all-star team in Golden State, but now is on the same all-star team in Brooklyn and has to be basically the stretch five center unless they can get him help in the playoffs because that's where this is headed. But he's happier because at least he put this together. And with all of that said, I really like watching them. Oh, and and <laughs> the the what it is, it's pulled out a couple things, right? So I had them number two on my rankings, and I'll give you my number one after we finish talking about Brooklyn. It's pulled out two things for me that I really enjoy. One is kind of the the realization of something we knew four years ago with Kyrie that he's actually not a point guard. That it's more fun when he's off the ball, when he kind of can drift in and out of the game at his leisure, and all of a sudden just take over for you know, 10 points in two minutes or, oh, we're, this play broke down. Give it to Kyrie. Oh, that's right. He's the most coordinated guard we've ever had in the history of basketball. The, what it's done for him compared to, I think maybe with the Celtics, it was too much pressure of this is your team. You have the ball all the time. And I don't know if that's how he's at his best. He's at his best here with two other playmakers when he can float in and out. So this is the most fun I've had watching Kyrie. Second, the Harden thing and how he has basically changed his game again. How many versions of James Harden are we on now? Four? Because you think like OKC James, then first few years of Houston with Dwight Howard James, then point guard James, and now Brooklyn James. This is Harden 4.0? Maybe. I mean, he's throwing, you know, the first few games there, he was so deferential that it was a little bit alarming. And he also didn't look as explosive as I had remembered him. Maybe he was just out of shape. He's starting to look more like you just can't stay in front of him anymore. And he's going through people. He's starting to look more like Harden. Yeah, but he's he's totally bought into, I can average 12 assists a game on, on this team. And I'm cool doing that. He's creating baskets for himself and others at a ludicrous level. And it's as frustrating as he is, and we did... We've done a lot of hard and playoff stuff over the years. You you wrote a long, long piece about it. Um, I know we've talked about it on podcasts over the years, and it's going to be the scar on his resume until they until he wins the title. With that said, um, has to be one of the three or four best offensive perimeter guys ever, and has continues to add stuff to his game. This version of him we just kind of haven't seen yet. He doesn't need to shoot that much. His efficiency is actually up. All his numbers are up. And he just seems like he'd be really fun to play with. And it's such a switch from the last two years where I didn't think he was fun to play with. And I thought he was getting his stats sometimes at the expense of the happiness of his teammates. This version of James Harden, wouldn't you agree, is fun to play with? Yeah, I mean, he's when he's spraying the ball around like this, he's actually having guys come set picks for him, which gets the defense moving instead of just dribble, dribble, dribble. And by the way, the best player on the team is Kevin Durant, whose name we haven't, right. we haven't mentioned, mentioned yet. <laughs> um, uh, he's still the best guy on the whole team when you consider defense and just size, rebounding, all of it. I mean, the guy can do literally everything there is to do on a basketball court. Kevin Durant can do it at a high level. Yeah, and what's weird is I think he's the most important player on the team. I think Harden is second most important, and then Kyrie is the luxury guy. And it's an insane luxury guy to have, right? We've never seen a luxury guy as, as the third best player on a team who's as talented as Kyrie is. We've seen great third guys. We've seen, you know, Chris Bosh, 
uh, Robert Parrish, James Worthy, going down the line. But nobody with the ability, like if it was you're down 3-2 in a series in the Eastern Finals, you're down eight points with four minutes left, and your third guy could carry you to the, to the you know, to a game seven, whatever. He might be the most overqualified for that role. It's been great for Joe Harris. I was worried about Joe Harris. I was worried about him with teams hunting defensively, stuff like that. Then the Harden-Kyrie stuff defensively, what have you seen so far? Because it's gotten better. It's not great, but at least it seems like in crunch time, they can at least put together five decent minutes. Yeah, when they try, it's it's okay. I mean... Um, it's okay. It's a C+. Plus. There, there's, but there's a lot of times when, you know, the effort is eh, and there are communication mishaps on the switches and all of that. And those guys are never going to be, like, good, good, but they're counting on the surrounding guys to to lift them up. But what they're really counting on is nobody can guard us. Like Like, yeah. you just mentioned all these other big threes. We have never seen a big three of guys who can, from the three-point line, create their own shot at, at an elite level. Three guys like this, like off the dribble. So create their own shot, get into the lane, pass to other people. We just haven't seen three guys like Steph, Draymond, KD, Clay. I mean, they, they had some big four, but they, Clay and Draymond don't quite qualify as the kind of player that we're talking about. Um, Bosch, you know, was as a big guy could create his own shot, but not in the way we're talking about, not in the way of just get out of my way. I'm clearing out no matter, you know, you put your two best defenders on those two guys will give the ball to the third guy. We just haven't seen that. And I think what the nets are betting on more than anything else is like, no one is going to be able to stop us or really even slow us down there. I mean, the 2017 Warriors is the best offensive team I've ever seen since the 86 Celtics, which didn't have a three point line. Um, Ultimately, that 2017 Warriors, if there's like seven seconds left in the shot clock and something happened and you had to reset, whatever, Durant would, was the guy they would go to. Yep. And he was as good as anyone ever. He's probably the best offensive scoring forward we've ever had. The Nets have three of those guys in the last seven seconds who can save a play. And, you know, we see this in the playoffs, especially when it gets to nut crunch time. And everything slows down a little and you can feel the pressure and, and some guys can come and go and you end up taking a lot of bad shots. Think of that Celtics heat series last year. How many times it ended with the Jason Tatum 26 foot step back because they couldn't get a better shot. And this Brooklyn team has three guys that can turn a wasted possession into an awesome shot. And that's the thing that struck me watching them. It's like, fuck, you can play good defense against them for 15, 16 seconds, and then they still get a layup or a wide open three. And you're like, damn, what just happened? And you can see these defenses sometimes kind of lose hope a little bit, right? Like it's a little bit like you get like an uppercut. You're like, oh, this sucks. Can't stop these guys, you know, which I think is a really special trait. And they're going to turn because of all the attention that they draw. They're going to turn these role players into just the, the, the looks they're going to get are just ridiculous. Like Bruce Brown the other night. I don't even, I, I have an item in my column tomorrow. Like, I don't even know what position Bruce Brown is playing. Doesn't he's matter. Like, he's like yeah. a center fielder, but on offense, he's just kind of <laughs> moving around like, hey, nobody's paying attention to me. Here I am. Look at me. I'm now over here. Now I'm over here. Pass me the ball. And then like the ball goes in the basket. It's crazy. Joe Harris is going to, I think Joe Harris is shooting like 50% on threes or something. It, it, it's good. And that's going to sustain. The Bruce Brown thing, I think he's a playoff guy. And you need luck with this stuff, right? You need like your seventh, eighth, ninth guy to be that random dude who is just like 
he's he's been underestimated his whole life. He has a chip on his shoulder. He has a chance to play for a better contract. And he will literally die in the court for this team. <laughs> and he's that guy, right? You need these playoff teams. You need a guy like that. And he's that guy for this team. I never, I tweeted it at the time. And I don't tweet much anymore, but I was so perplexed that I had to tweet. Like, I don't, I never understood what Detroit was doing in that trade other than like, are they so afraid of what Bruce Brown's next contract is going to be that they're like, we just got to get up Bruce Brown for Musa who I don't even know where Musa is anymore. And I think it's a Raptors second round pick or some useless Ugh. second round pick. Like Bruce Brown's good. And He's no, good. not only that you drafted him in the second round. Now it's not you, you it's the previous front office. So you don't have sort of the same investment in him, but He's he's you drafted him. He played well for you. It's like a good Detroit success story. He kind of fits the ethos of what you want the Pistons to be, what you envision the Pistons is to stand for. You just dump him. The the Nets must have been like, what for what now? Call and by the in. way, where were the ten other teams with the better offer? It's like when when Brooklyn gave away Jared Allen because they needed an extra pick. Where was everybody else? It's like we're having a fire sale for Jared Allen. He's eighty percent off. Any any takers? And I love nobody. I love Jared Allen. You know why I love Jared Allen? Why? You will never see Jared Allen make a business decision at the rim. He tries to. It doesn't matter if it's Giannis. It doesn't mm. matter if it's LeBron. He is trying to block every dunk, and he does not care if you get him. He's coming the next time, and the next time, and the next time. I, I love that about him. Well, he's exactly what Brooklyn needs. And as I look at them, and it, maybe it won't matter because we might be in a world in crunch time where it's. It's the three guys. It's Joe Harris and it's Bruce Brown. And that's just, they say, that's what we're rolling with. We'll play Duran as small ball five. And, you know, if they're going against Philly, Jordan will have to play his 25 minutes. I'm sure they'll get some buyout guy like a JaVale that they'll get the extra six fouls on. But to me, this is not a team that needs Andre Drummond. And I don't even know if Andre Drummond necessarily even makes this team better. I know, I know he puts up stats, but I don't know. Have we ever seen a winning situation for Andre Drummond? I know he puts up the stats, but on this team, is he going to be happy just doing the dirty work and that's it? Rebound, be in the right spots, and we don't want to hear from you. I don't know if he wants to do that. I, I'm surprised I'm saying this as a sort of Andre Drummond skeptic. I think Andre Drummond has become a little bit underrated. Like, okay, when you can put up rebounding numbers like he can put up, and if you have him setting screens and rolling for Kyrie Irving and James Harden instead of Brandon Jennings, Reggie Jackson, and, you know, Killian Hayes slash DeLon Wright, he's going to look pretty good. And he's going to look more than now defensively, like he's got to dial it. The motor was always the question, right? Does this guy want to dial in every single game, every single possession? Maybe I just think he's become a little underrated. I, I agree with you that I don't this idea that he's an all-star and all this, like I, I kind of, I mean, he has been an all-star, but I've never really conceived of him that way, but I think he would help Brooklyn. But I agree with you. I think their plan is we're closing games with Durant at center or Jeff Green at center. And that's why the Philly matchup is so much fun because I think they would look at Embiid. Yeah, I think you're right. They'd play Jordan his X amount of minutes, but I would think Steve Nash, I like the way he thinks. And I think he would look at that as let's not, rejigger our rotation in fear of Joel Embiid. Let's make him guard us in space and yeah. see if he and see if he can do it. And if he can, if we're if it's not working, then we'll be I think they would attack him first by just let's play Kevin at center and see who he guards. Maybe he guards Bruce Brown. All right, let's take Bruce Brown off the floor. Let's put Landry Shamit on the floor and just put a bunch of shooting out there and see what he does. 
Well, the scary thing for Philly in that scenario is Brooklyn basically conceding and beads 38 points a game in the series. Or or doing what like, the cool. Raptors... I mean, the Raptors the other night, the last two times they played Philly this week, they just threw like three guys at Embiid every single time he got the ball and just said, you're passing. We're not letting you shoot. We're not letting you even back it down. Um, and now the Raptors have a bunch of long, fast defenders who can rotate and fly around. The Nets don't quite have that, but it would Embiid might get like 50 in some of those. Right. It, would be a lot of, it would be a lot of fun. I'm not anti them picking up Drummond. I just want to... I want to just put a little caution in. It reminds me a little of when the Warriors got Cousins and we were like, oh, five All-Stars. I was like, eh. Well, this is the thing with Cousins. We we were talking on the jump about buyout guys and I and I said, you know, I hate to be the proverbial, proverbial turd in the punch bowl, but like, I remember when we all lost our minds that the Cavs got Darren Williams. You know, it's like seldom... Not me. Not this PJ guy. Bra PJ Brown's the exception, though, right? PJ Brown in 2008. Wasn't he a buyout guy for the Celtics who, like, made PJ some Brown plays is, in the playoffs? Yeah, he's the poster boy of the best-case version of the uh, the buyout guy. Well, on the Drummond thing, if he was a buyout guy, which I don't think he's going to be, you could not knock Brooklyn on the price for that. But I think he's going to get traded, and I think he's going to get traded to my number one favorite league pass team, which I'm going to reveal right after this break. All right, who's my number one favorite league pass team? You could probably guess. There's been a couple texts about them between us over the last two months. It's not, oh, 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 I know who it is. I think it's Charlotte. You're goddamn right, it's Charlotte. Yeah, I knew I it. I love Charlotte. Yeah, so, as you know, the Celtics season is turning into a dumpster fire. Joe House and Sal and I bet on Charlotte to win the division. They were like eight to one odds. And so I feel like now I bought my, my seat on the Charlotte bandwagon. I just enjoy the hell out of them. I'm just going to go through the things I love. Um, first of all, I haven't, I usually feel like I'm pretty good at nailing this guy's going to be good heading into the draft. I would say I bat, my batting average is good. Even with Halliburton, that was a win for me. I missed on the Lamella thing and I missed as badly as I've missed in a long time. I just, between the YouTube highlights, which I completely overrated of him not giving a shit, taking 35 footers. Um, I underestimated the his rebounding and traffic. Um, I Hearing about his crappy interviews, which I know you heard the same stuff. It's clear now that he was tanking to get to Charlotte. He is so much fun to watch. I love everything he does. I apologize to Dave Jacoby, who was telling me from day one that I was going to regret my words. Lamella's last 13, he's 26 and six. Last night against the Suns, which um, is another team that's going to pop up my list, which a game I enjoyed the hell out of. Basically, they gave the car case to Lamella at the end of the game. He got Aiton in the switches and then just blew by him off the dribble and did these crazy one-handed layups. And it was like, wow, you couldn't do this a month ago. Seems like he'd be incredibly fun to play with. And I think he's going to be a real star. And he's the main reason I love watching that team. Were you surprised by LaMelo? Uh, I mean, I'm surprised by any rookie who comes in as polished as this and as in command as this. And the 35% from three on high volume, like he's taking five threes a game. I don't think even the LaMelo optimists expected that kind of shooting from him. His finishing's gotten better. His passing, I expected because I, I saw enough where I was like, oh, this guy, this guy has it. Whatever it is, he's got the vision. Um, but I didn't, yeah, I, I thought there would be much more of a learning curve and sort of NBA growing pains. And he just comes in, he's like, 
totally change their team, change their franchise. I'm happy for Charlotte fans. I said it the, the day after the draft on my podcast. I said, look, if the if the people that I talk to about the draft, if the, if the Lamelo optimists are right, Charlotte finally has something really good going for them. And 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 um, Wait, has know. it gotten to the point yet where the Warriors front office guys are kind of looking at each other? Uh, I don't think so. I think they like Wiseman. I, think I, think I still, like I still have Wiseman as my number one, but he's now one A and Lamelo's one B. I had heading into the draft, I had Wiseman, Halliburton, Lamelo, or probably or Edwards. I don't remember, but I had, I had Wiseman, Halliburton, one two. I think now I'd have Lamelo over Halliburton as much as I love Halliburton because there's superstar. His for for. Where Charlotte was as a team these last 20 years, um, for what they've been as a franchise, for their lack of star power, to have this guy who, for like my son's generation, is going to be, I think, one of the most identifiable NBA superstars, on top of the fact that he's fun to watch, like that's that's the piece Halliburton's not going to be able to match. Like this guy is a put, put him on your posters, put him in your local commercials. Um, and his teammates really like him. I think they really like playing with him, which which is no small thing. Look, if I I just want to say if I owned a used car dealership in Sacramento, I would put Tyrese Halliburton in my car. Me too. I, I would put him in there, front and center, <laughs> a grocery store, whatever it is. I would be trying to get Tyrese Halliburton to be on my commercials. Well, we love Tyrese Halliburton, and that was an amazing stroke of luck that all these teams passed on him and he fell to 12 for a, a franchise that has been a mess. And sometimes you need luck. Uh so LaMelo, I think a big reason this team is fourth in assists per game. They're eighth in made threes. They're eighth in three-point field goal percentage. But all this stuff's getting better because they actually have their full team. Right now, they're 14th in pace. Is this a team that should play faster? In your they were super slow. I, as I believe, as I recall, I think they were like 28th last year. So they're, they're speeding up. They don't have Devontae Graham right now, and they're still winning anyway. Um, and you haven't mentioned... Well, I there's mean, he, some other things I want to mention. Here. Oh, mention that I'm not going to steal your Charlotte Hornets thunder. Well, Roger is 20 points a game, 49, 45, 82 splits. No all-star buzz. I thought he might get a little, I thought he surpassed Gordon Hayward as their best all-star candidate by the very end. Very close. Very close. He might be our weirdest last minute of the game. They're clearing out for him and I'm okay with it guy. Ooh, that's where a good like, one. He's like, made some big shots. Yeah, he makes big, and he kind of did this with the Celtics in 2018, and then people, because he sucked in Game 7 against the Cavs, it, people kind of forgot all the big moments he had. Anyway, he's Scary been Scary Terry. Scary Terry, that was a thing. That was a Scary big Terry thing. was a thing. Um, the Hayward Renaissance season it hurts because it was going to happen last year and he broke but, his but, hand. But it was it was completely predictable. Like, it's none of this yeah. should be... Gordon Hayward would, last year, even last year, was like 18-5-5 five five or something. Like, like, it was very clear he was still a very, very good NBA player. I think the bubble and how hurt he was just kind of tainted the memory of... When he broke his hand, he was playing like this last year. And now he's 22 a game, 49-41-87 splits. Um, Grandy had a great tweet about minutes by year where Hayward was. And each year he was like seventh, eighth, 13th, ninth in Utah. And then it was like in Boston, you know, 500, 356, <laughs> 112th. And now this year it's like 13th. So Boston just for whatever reason had the worst luck they ever could have possibly had with them. Miles Bridges, 
Where does he rank well, for you on random, off the bench, entertaining, exciting guys? That guy, God bless him, just wants to kill people on every dunk. And and I he's murder in his heart. I don't know if he's been in the dunk contest before. I because you'd be shocked to know that I do watch the dunk contest and enjoy it. It's but its history is not embedded in my brain the same way. Me neither. Um, he is just a vicious vicious dunker and the chemistry he has with with LaMelo. I don't know if I can really quite endorse the Airbnb nickname that people are trying to make happen for them. Um, How about this? Can people stop trying to make nicknames happen? The whole point of nicknames is they kind of organically happen. If you're forcing them down our throats, they don't work. It's not bad. I just think I think no, it sucks. we can workshop. There are some other ideas that should be workshop, but he's fun. He's a good passer too. I've really, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed watching him. And uh, he's, yeah, they're, they're fun. He's a momentum swinger along with this next guy, a guy that I've never quit on in my life. Malik Monk. I never gave up. Was wondering why the Celtics weren't trying to trade semi Ojale for him a month and a half ago. He was exactly what they needed. A heat check guy who made some threes. You were the only person on planet earth. Who no? Who even, even me? I can't imagine sitting there and having the thought of the Celtics really urgently need to trade Semi Ojale from Malik Monk enter yeah. my brain. Like that's a that's a, a sign of that's a problem that you're. I that, trade machined it, and we actually had to throw in one more guy. It wasn't a straight up deal. <laughs> it oh, was like man, one more. It was like Carson Edwards also needed. To I can just it, but, picture you sitting there. Yeah. Like your wife talking to you at dinner and you're like, uh-huh, and I'm ignoring her. Uh-huh, yeah, I'm on the uh-huh. show. And in your head, you're like, Malik Monk, it's, I think we can make that work. <laughs> well, Malik Monk's last 12 games, 15.7 points, 3.1 made threes per game, 47.4 from three. And the reason I bring up him and Miles Bridges together, and it's one of the many things that makes this Charlotte team so much goddamn fun. They're momentum changers. You know, it's like, oh, we're down 48, 38. We don't, yeah, we're kind of dead. And then all of a sudden, Mock makes three threes in a row. Or Bridges dunks over three guys at once. And they can flip the game. And, you know, not to go back to the Celtics, but that's the biggest thing the Celtics team doesn't have. They don't have anybody that can come in off the bench and swing a game for five minutes. And Charlotte has Miles Bridges. They have Mock. Freaking Biombo can come in and, uh, and block three shots in two minutes, you know? and Can I, can you- I tell you the only guy on the Celtics who kind of comes close? And if the Celtics continue to sputter, I almost hope they use it as an excuse to just take the kid gloves off Robert Williams and just mm. play him 35 minutes a game and see what happens. I just want to see what happens. I understand there's some miscues defensively. He's a little all over the place, but the stuff that guy can do is special. He's a good passer, which people don't really realize, or a lot of people don't realize. I just... I feel like we're just perpetually stuck in this. The Celtics have a lot of veteran bigs. They don't quite trust Robert Williams. 12 minutes here, 18 minutes there, nine minutes there. I just want to see, I want to see it. I want to see the full experience. When you say miscues defensively, that's like saying my new puppy has had only a couple miscues in the house. The miscues are constant defensively because anybody who switches him on the perimeter, he doesn't know where the three-point line is. How many three-pointers has he given up where he's a step late because he didn't realize that shot was worth three points instead of two? That's I think that's why he doesn't play. I think it drives Brad Stevens crazy. He literally cannot figure out where the three-point line is. Um, Last thing with Charlotte, because I think this is an important point. They have the Cody Zeller expiring contract. 
they could package some stuff together to get to Drummond, I personally wouldn't do it. There is a Cody Zeller and a first for Miles Turner trade kind of sitting there. Oh no, come on. No, 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 no. For him. Indiana's not Indiana's not doing that. So so they went from last year trying to get off Miles Turner for Gordon now Hayward. Think- for Gordon Hayward. And and draft picks that were pretty high. I thought it was Miles Turner and Doug and McBuckets for, for Hayward, basically. Right. They Gordon Hayward they viewed as We'll pay him four So you years, think they're good uh, with Turner and Sabonis? Until a better alternative comes along, I do, I think they're okay with it. I don't I think it's they've made the best of it. I don't You wouldn't think, want a first round pick from Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's gonna fight to protect it in such a way as it's not gonna be as enticing as you say it appears to be when it comes out of your mouth as a Charlotte Hornets first round pick. A Charlotte Hornets top ten protected first round pick. Does that light your fire? I'm, at sa- all? I'm giving an unprotected pick for Miles Turner. Well, they're in, not in this draft. They won't. If you're Charlotte? No. Nobody gives up unprotected picks anymore except I for like James Harden. Charlotte. I think Charlotte could be like the four seed with one more guy. I will, I will say this though. I do think they are going to sniff around some trade names that usually would be outside their stratosphere just yeah. to see. Just That's to why see. I brought this up. Can, they can have we, the Zeller, they have in. a pick. Yeah. They can even put in P.J. Washington if, if somebody wanted a like two if for you one. Were, but, uh, never mind. Go No, I want to hear it. No, this is why you're on the podcast. Tell me. If you were them, and I, I just want to make clear, I'm just speaking theoretically. No reporting. No, nothing. Listen, we're in a safe space. Even if you shot down my Miles Turner trade in two seconds, we're in I a safe space. Um, why would you not? Why would you not call Bradley Beal's agent and say, "Hey, oh, just like look at this. Does he like? Would he, would he like it here? Because if he would, like, if he'd resign here, we'd be prepared to give up a whole lot of stuff for him. Or like, I'm just saying as an example. Why? Why wouldn't you? Where else are you going? I mean, you have Lamelo Ball. You have all your picks. Like. I would at least place the call. Again, this is no reporting. This is just my reckless, reckless. You're so you know? afraid of the aggregators. So you're saying they call and they say, Rogier Zeller and everything. We'll give, we'll you, give you everything. Eight we'll give first everything round but picks. Everything but yeah, Lamello. Four first, and, four yeah. swaps. We, we'll try to keep Miles Bridges and a couple other young guys, but like, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. That's a lot more fun than Miles, Miles Turner. I was trying to figure out how they could get, because the, the Zeller Biombo combo is what keeps them from being actually interesting in a playoff series. I feel like Cody Zeller, I have a 10 things item about this that I'll never write because it's Cody Zeller and not enough people care. I feel like he's three inches off on every layup. Like every layup just rolls around the rim and falls off. It's just, he's three inches away from averaging like 17 points a game and they all miss. Well, it seems like this team has great chemistry. And it does seem like he's a part of that. It seems like everybody likes that. Anyway, well, that was my too. number James one Bra- James Brago's a good coach, by the way. James Borrego, if that team ends up actually winning their division, I mean, U- Utah's coach is probably putting away coach of the year, but if they, uh, I don't know, Borrego's on, on the list. All right. Who do you have? Who do you I don't have? Even need your- to, I don't even need to think about it. I don't need to think about it. Denver. Denver's my pick now. No, you just, Jokic is Jokic. That's it. I got nothing. I mean, the guy, have you, it, he's actually like sneaky fast with the ball this year. He'll uh, look, he's not. He's not permanently fast, but if he needs to get fast for like a baseline spin or he catches the ball in transition, he's got a gear now that he didn't used to have. And you can see teams' defenses react like, what? wait, what? That dude can can like 
get by me a little bit now. And he just, he still does things every game. Not every game, maybe every other game you'll see a defense that just, he does some fake or some pass where the defense just reacts as if they've never seen a human being try this before. It's so foreign to them that they don't understand what's just happened. And it's just, it's just so, I don't even care who plays. Gary Harris never plays anymore. Will Bart never plays anymore. Jermichael Green disappears somewhere. It doesn't even matter to me. Play Zeke Naji, Bull Bull, Jokic. <laughs> I don't even care if Murray plays. They're my pick. This was the first, I, to, to your point about how he seems a little faster. This was the first season that he actually started to remind me of Dirk, which is so weird where they, you just think like, well, those two guys have nothing in common, but some of the stuff he's been doing offensively is Dirkish. And I do feel like Dirk is a one of one, but Jokic is pulling now from three different iconic players, Bill Walton, Sabonis, and Dirk. And, but also is like his own version at the same time. But I'm with you. I'm just so disappointed in that team. I had them lower in my rankings just because I, I think that's, if you had to say what would be the most shocking, abrupt coaching fire coming out of the all-star break, I think Denver would have to be one of them. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to get fired, but if you're just every year, there's always one shocking, oh my God, what? That happened. Well, I think one they year would it have was to be Mike mentioned. Malone. Remember, it was Mike Malone in Sacramento when they got off to a good start. Then Boogie got sick. I think he got mono or something and had to sit out for a while. And they fired Mike Malone. Everyone's like, "What? What?" It, I'm, look, I'm unhappy with how they're playing. I think they're going to have a run in them when they get everybody back. Um, okay. You know, Porter was out for a while. Now he's back, but all those other guys out. I think they're going to have a run in them when they get intact. So I'm, I'm, and I think Mike Malone, you know. X's and O's wise, we might disagree here and there, but you don't do what they did in the playoffs last year. And you don't do what they did the year they didn't make the playoffs where they had to win like eight out of nine against good teams just to force the winner take all game. You don't do stuff like that if your culture isn't pretty rock solid. Now, I think they've had some, clearly some of their players have verbalized, notably Will Barton about, you know, I, I'm a starter. I don't care what anyone tells me. I'm a starter. Like they've got to navigate the thing that happens to every team that gets a lot of good players, which is people get put in roles that they're unaccustomed to, but you don't do what they did without a rock solid culture that, that comes together when it counts. And Mike Malone has to be given at least partial credit for that. Do you think they regret not going after Harden? Uh, no, no, okay. I don't. I don't. Murray for Harden would have been a fun one. I actually did Murray's extension kicked in. I think it might've actually even been impossible for them to do it. It's I think, just, I, I think it's kicked in. Yeah. As a, as a thought, I would have been like, ah, oh, we can't do that to Jokic. Give him dribbling James Harden. But then watching James Harden on this Brooklyn team made me think like, oh man, that would have been amazing. I, I kind of wish they had been able to do that. Uh, we're going to take a break and then I'm going to go to my second league pass team. We looked it over, looked it up over the break. They could have traded Jamal Murray for, uh, for James Harden. I think it would have been inconceivable two months ago. Now I would say, you know, I'd rather have James Harden, but what do I know? Uh, my number two favorite league pass team is Golden State. Wait, this because, is your number two, but it's number four on our list, right? Okay, Golden State. Yeah. Golden State was on my list too, so I'll cross them off. I had Charlotte one, Golden State two. The Curry Renaissance season just single-handedly has 
and and also like you just don't know what you're gonna get from night to night from anyone on that team, including Draymond. From Draymond, at least you know you're gonna get rebounds, assists, and defense, but he might score two points. The swing guys, I don't know if any of them are gonna make a shot. The bench guys, I don't know if any of them will make a shot. And Curry has navigated this and the leadership and in this league where everybody bolts or is unhappy if they don't have enough help and he just doesn't give a shit and he's just carrying them. And he's been as good as he was in 2016. He's averaging five threes a game, which would put him on pace to crack 400. We're not going to have an 82 game season. He's 35 and five, just like he was in his second MVP year. And I just love watching him. I really missed him. He's a, he's a show. You're right. He and Jokic are are among the half dozen guys who by themselves get their teams into this, into this conversation. Um, And yeah, you know, look, Curry, he's invested in the Warriors. He wants to stay there. He wants to make it work. That's easier to do when you've won three titles, right? Like he doesn't, he's not facing this endless chatter of, well, he's never done it. He's never done it. He's got to go somewhere else to get it. Like he's got that under his belt. So it's a little easier for him than it is for others. But yeah, there, I mean, he's just, he's unbelievable. This is a big year for Steph Curry because there was a lot of, you know, can he carry a team? From, from idiots, by the way, you're an idiot if you made that point. And he's doing pretty well with this. They team. won 130 games in back-to-back in two seasons combined. I mean, I don't need to tell you this. The Durant no, 140. To Golden, the Durant move to Golden State changed just everything. It warped everything about the NBA, including how we talk including about Curry. Including how we talk about Curry. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. They were 140 and 24 in the two seasons before Durant got there. And people are like, oh, Curry can't carry his own team. You guys are morons if you said that. The 2017 finals between the Warriors without Durant and the Cavs as they existed are one of the great theoretical matchups I would love to see. Agreed. Because that Cavs team was awesome. Anyway. So the Warriors are 18 and 15 as we're taping this. They should be 19 and 14. They lost the dumbest game of the year to Charlotte, which was good for my Charlotte bet. But, uh, there was a point earlier in this season when I was wondering if, um, if Golden State was going to make the playoffs. I think they are definitely going to be one of the eight teams. The Draymond season, I've no, I've talked about it on my podcast before, so I'll give you the four on this for ten seconds. Do you have any explanation for why he just can't score in a basketball game anymore? I I don't know, but I remember. Well, the three-point shooting, there's clearly one outlier year that was just a random. The year they won 73 games, it was just a random. Like, mm. this was just crazy. But I, I remember writing and saying, probably when I was still at Grantland, about, like, he could be one of these guys who, when he loses 10% of his athleticism, like, all of these layups and floaters that he barely gets over the hands of shot blockers, and like, those all could elude him if he just loses a little bit of that athleticism. But that hasn't impacted his defense, his passing, his playmaking. So he's still, he's, he's a one of a kind player. And there's just, I can't really think of a lot of guys that have ever been like him. And you and I both love Wiseman, the potential of Wiseman. I like the potential. I'm excited to start watching again. Like these guys go away for two, three weeks. You forget about them. But I, I, I do. I think I was, I was actually surprised by how much Warriors fans or segment of them seem to be dispirited with his, early season play to oh, me he was, on, he was fine as, as a rookie a rookie center learning He's on the fly rookie big man how many yeah. rookie who, big who men come way, in essentially didn't play college at all yeah know. ridiculous who do you have as your number three league passing um i have a few candidates i think i'm gonna go with the pelicans 
Um, Zion, just, Zion specific? Just Zion. I mean, I just, he's making, it's like you look at the boxer, it's like, oh, Zion, 13 of 17. You just gloss right over it. You don't even stop anymore. Like 13 of 17, that seems unusual. Someone, someone missed four shots out of like 20 in an NBA game. He, he's just doing it every night. He jumps four times. I would like to see how many times I could jump in the span that Zion jumps like four times. Um, and the point Zion thing is super fun. It's turned Lonzo into a different kind of player. It's got Brandon Ingram being a different guy. I, just, I, I think they're really, really fun to watch and mostly because of Zion. They're not deep. They're, you know, seven, eight guys deep. That's it. But I, I, my other candidates were Utah. I, you know, fine. I've been like one of these nerdy best. Ones. I love Utah. Joe Ingles, pass fake. It's like, okay, that's fine. Uh, Philly. I'm a little bored with Philly. So I think I'll go New Orleans. And the other team is guaranteed to have a great offensive game against the Pelicans. That's the other thing. So I had them fourth. I would not have had them in the top 10 until two weeks ago. And I, Stan was in a coma with Zion and then finally realized like, oh, what do I have here? And now I, I thought some of the stuff he's done the last couple of weeks and how they're using him on specific plays that just take advantage of nobody can stay in front of this guy. And if he has a head of steam, it's over. So now it seems like it's almost like watching, you know, like uh, when the Chiefs, how they use, you don't watch football that much, but Tyreek Hill who's the fastest guy in, in the league and the Chiefs will get him in motion sometimes. And then they'll just run these plays where he's in motion and just runs a slant at full speed and he could just get to this four yard spot. And it's, it's basically unguardable. And with Zion, when he's moving, which is why the point forward thing's been so much fun. When he has like a little, little wind uh, in his back, it just seems like he can go wherever he wants and how and wherever he wants. And how many guys in the history of the league could you have said that about? Nobody wants to take a charge from him. Oh my if God. you body him up, you just fall backwards anyway, like it, like you would with LeBron. And he's going left every time, and the team knows it, but he still gets the shot he wants. And I just don't know how you stop him when he's got the wind on his back. He had a dunk against Portland the other day from the from the left wing. I think Covington was on him, and he blew by Covington so easily. And then there was someone waiting at the rim who took off. Kinda, I remember he that. He kind of cocked it back with two hands and dunked it. And this guy didn't even get near whoever was supposed to rotate had no shot. And it, it happened so fast. Then I rewound it, and I was like, I, I have to see what happened to Robert Covington. It's like he just vanished. He was gone. And it, it, he has 10 plays like that every game where you just say to yourself, it's it's uh, it's alarming. He's an alarming player. Like I'm alarmed by how athletic he is. Yeah, and it's weird because I still feel like he's not at peak powers yet. It still seems like he could lose five or six more pounds, but maybe he doesn't need to. I thought Stan did a bad job coaching that team, and the last two weeks... You know, you think about that Celtics game on Sunday. Might have been a might have been an incredible fork in the road moment for both teams. And you could Russell and I talked about it Sunday. You could kind of feel it when they started coming back. There was a moment during that game, and we were texting back and forth what to talk about. And we we're gonna lead with like the Pelicans. This is a disaster. What's going on? And now it feels like it's flipped in 72 hours, which is part of the problem with podcasts. And then on the flip side, for the Celtics to lose that game seems to have sent them in a tailspin too, but Zion, he's a one-on-one and, uh, it's all been said. So I had them as four. So go again. Oh, I get to go again. Yeah. Uh, 
I want to pick an out of the box pick here. Well, I can go then. You want me to go? Yeah, you go. I'll just go. I had a, I have Phoenix. See, I don't like watching Phoenix that much. I'm interested to hear your case. So my case is I'm on the West Coast. They're on a lot. And my choices are basically, if I can get a toggle going with a Warriors game and a Suns game, I'm pretty happy. I, I think with the Suns, I like watching the the potential of the team. I think about as I watch them and and is this a team that we might see in round two, round three? Cause uh I've talked about this. Round before. three. Ooh, that's that's spicy. Well, it's a weird season. There's gonna be some injury that we're not expecting. And there's look, I, be... I like Phoenix, but round three means you beat Utah or one of the LA teams. Probably yeah, listen, I'm ready for to see a weird team in one of the two conferences. Uh, I'm with you. They're probably not going to make round three, but it's a team that really knows who they are in the last five minutes of a game. And I think that's a really important trait. They well, can, that's CP. they that's have an CP. awesome score and they have an awesome leader and CP and Booker can get his own shot. And you know, really that eight and thing is going to be the piece, right? Cause you saw what Charlotte was doing yesterday with to just getting him in switches. And he, I don't feel like he can guard people 25 feet away. Not that a lot of centers can, but, um, it does feel like a team you can attack on the defensive end. What have you seen from that end? Well, I'll go one further on Aiton. Aiton, to me, is one of the most interesting players in the league in the next two or three years. A guy who could potentially swing the balance of power in the league if he hits his ceiling or or versus not coming close to his ceiling. You know, we Mikhail Bridges is going to get paid a lot of money. Mm. A, a, a lot of money. I think people need to start preparing themselves for like the four-year, eighty-five million dollar extension. Oh, I thought you were going to say hundred, and I wasn't going to blink or whatever it is. If you said four for a hundred, I was just going to stare at you. And book is going to get what book he's already got his big deal. Um, Cam Johnson will get a decent deal. Do they want to resign Chris Paul in two years? Maybe not. I don't know. Like I, I think it's. I think. It, the money is going to start adding up fast. Like if you give a max to Aiton and you, you know, you can laugh at DeAndre Aiton getting a max number one picks who put up numbers like he does typically get the max after their rookie extensions or something close to it. The bill gets pretty, pretty big, pretty fast for Robert Sarver. Zach, are you insinuating that Robert might have a history of maybe not paying for expensive teams? I'm just saying it gets expensive. You start coming up on the tax. That's the thing about being a young, exciting team. You blink an eye and it's like, oh my God, we're over the tax. We just paid all these guys. Um, it's like the dinner bill for the for the eight-person dinner. You're like, yeah. $1,200. Um, but I, I do think Aiden is really interesting. He's been uh, on balance, I think, disappointing this year. Um, I, I thought he made a big jump last year. It hasn't sustained. In his defense, you know, He's trying to find himself with those two guards and where he fits in. Bridges is making a little bit of a leap. Now they're starting Kaminsky at the four, which they've landed on this as their stopgap solution. I don't particularly like it, but it's working okay. He's trying to find his place, and he's got he has one out of every three games where like okay, just put up twenty three and fifteen or whatever it is, and then so I'm I'm but I am interested in him. I do think they're really good. I think they're legit. One thing I like about them is the better the team, the more kind of fun the game is like they had I'm looking at their schedule they had that game and they beat Milwaukee by one point they beat Philly by nine but that was a really fun game uh they had the Brooklyn game where they lost by four where it was basically just hard against the whole team but that game was really fun uh they had 
two straight. They had an OT and a double OT game against Denver. So I'm factoring that into my league pass rankings. It seems like when they go against somebody else who's good, the game is usually good. The game last night against Charlotte was really entertaining. Um, but I like that when I watch them, I like thinking of the potential of, hmm, can this happen? Hmm, what about Sarge? And there's always like subplots with them. And then I just like watching Chris at this stage of his career where uh, it's just like watching an actor who just knows exactly who he is as an actor. And he just comes into these parts, you know, and it's just like, all right, oh, that's that guy. It's like Gene Hackman. Oh, it's Gene Hackman. I know what he's going to do in this movie. It's Chris, especially in the end of these games. It's like, oh, I know what he's going to do. He's going to go into the paint. He's going to do that hop step back on the right block, that little 12-foot floater. And the other team, for some reason, doesn't know he's going to do this. I just enjoy it. He's got a he's got a hop step back an extra six inches now, just to just to get a little more space. Seriously, a little more space. But he is one of the greatest clutch players of all time. And as soon as Chris Paul's on your team, you have an identity. You're going to well, take ceiling, after how he plays. And the ceiling for them is going to be Booker, who the reason he made the All Star team is the way he played the first, I would say, four or five weeks. But he's also a guy that could, in the month of March, if you told me he's going to average 32 points a game and be the player of the month, I wouldn't be surprised. And when I talk about round three potential for them, for me, it's Ken Booker become a guy who can go toe-to-toe in a playoff series against the other team's best guy. And then is Aiton going to get better over these next two months? Um, you have one last league pass team? You never no, gave good. me your fifth choice. I'll, right. I'll, I'll, my fifth choice will just be Philly because I'm I just am endlessly fascinated by Simmons and Embiid and how they fit together and how Doc is trying to solve that puzzle. So I I, I just and Embiid is you just have to fast forward the free throws. So let the game run for an hour because Embiid's going to take 15 free throws. You're going to want to fast forward him, but he's just such a telegenic presence. I'll I'll go Philly. Embiid has hit this point, and I think Jokic is like this too, and Luca is like this. There's a couple others where. You just want to check the box scores during the game if you're not monitoring it. We'd be like, it's second quarter. Oh, and beat us 29. You Flip know, over. They, yeah, and they, then then it's time. Like that Bulls game on Friday night, it's like, oh, it's it's an Embiid game. It's time to watch this. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we have one more dumb game for you. Okay. It's a new one. Every time Zach comes on the pod, I like to throw him a topic within a couple hours of the pod that I know will break his brain. Yeah, 90 minutes before the pod, I usually get a text. It's like, hey, we're last minute, we're going to rank the 10 best players in NBA history. Just just get ready. <laughs> best left-handed power forwards. Just give it off the top of your head. So this is something I thought of the other day during the New Orleans-Boston game when they were inbounding the ball to Zion. And I knew before they even did it, what they were going to do. They were going to run the the Sabonis play that Indiana likes to run. If they're on the left side, they throw the ball to him on the block. He kind of fakes the handoff, turns and goes, and nobody really stops it. And I knew the play was running. I think the Celtics knew the play was running. Tristan Thompson knew the play was running. And Zion got to the rim, got an N1. It seemed like an offensive foul, but it wasn't. He's just Superman. And it got me thinking like, all right, 15 seconds left in the game. I'm down one point. I'm coming out of a timeout. What's my list of the guys I feel my life depended on it? Who's getting me a basket? What does that list look like? Now, can this can is, he get can he get a teammate a basket or does this person have to get the basket? He just has to get my team a basket. He has to create a basket. 
Okay. Create a basket, but ideal probably he's going to be creating it. Okay. Would be my guess. So, you know, the default, and this is where people will get mad. It's it's one of those things where LeBron has to be first. It has to be LeBron. So I guess my first question is, does it? Does it have to be LeBron? And where I landed was it actually does have to be LeBron. And here's why. I think he has the ability to get to the rim much like we just talked about with Zion, but he's also going to get the call almost every single time, even if the shot doesn't go in. I think the amount of respect listen he has with you, the listen refs. Listen to you. No, this is a backhand compliment. Listen to you. These grapes are so sour. I, I just trust his ability to either get a basket or get fouled more than I trust anyone else in the league. So I would, I would go LeBron first, 15 seconds or less get me a basket, LeBron, or he's going to make a great pass and create something for somebody else. I still think he's the best option. Your thoughts on that? I I didn't rank my guys. I, to, to me, there are four that stand a little. There was a tier of four that like, I, whoever my five are, I have to have these four in it, and he's one of them. And for all the reasons you, you just said, he's not going to turn the ball over. He's going to make a good pass or, or create a good shot. He's able to get to the rim. He's able to draw fouls, and that's why... You know, and the Celtics have been guilty of this a lot. Like those, when they end a game and it's just like a Tatum ISO three, just pour I just gasoline don't on my how, forehead. I understand how you you want to remove the possibility of a turnover, but I just if it's tied, you just have to put the referees in play. You have yes. to, and I, I just think it's 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 bad coaching to not even give the referees a chance to win you the game, basically. And I think this is something LeBron realized over the last three or four years that, well, first of all, it's harder to guard him than ever because they've changed some of the defensive rules, but, and he's so strong now and these guys bounce off him and he just knows like, if I'm going toward the basket, nobody's going to be able to stop my progress. I'm going to bounce off people and they're probably not calling an offensive foul on me. So I'm going to put this in the hands of, the defender and the refs as much as I possibly can because nobody's taking the ball from me. I'm not getting stripped. And odds are I'm so strong, even if I get fouled, I could make it anyway. And it's kind of unstoppable. And I don't really know what you do if you're the other team. What, how do you plan in a timeout for that if you know it's going to happen? Be like, hey, just keep your feet moving? <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, everyone would just say stay back and let him shoot jump shots, but he's become a good enough jump shooter that, you know, in these kind of situations, an open LeBron 20-footer is a good shot. I mean, you don't get better shots than that in the last five seconds of of a close game. Yeah, and if you're the other team, you're hoping he does a pull-up three. That's my dream scenario. Like, please, LeBron, do that. Um, You're going to make that one out of every three times, basically. Uh, all right, so who did you have? You said you had a list of four. Give me your second name on that list. I mean, Durant is the obvious one. You just have to have Kevin Durant on any list like this. Seven-footer who can shoot like that from all over the floor, has a history of big shots, has multiple iconic NBA Finals shots. Like, I just, I don't, I would be blown away if your list of five did not have the name Kevin Durant on it. I think he's the surest two points we've ever had at the forward position. I think Kareem's the surest two points ever. I think Michael Jordan was the surest two points at the guard position. And KD at forward. Right. Because he can score on any type of shot in any type of way from any distance. So I agree with you. I had, uh, for my third guy, I was, I was really surprised he made this list and it's kind of ridiculous. And you're going to laugh at me. I think it would be Zion. 
Like, is that I, crazy? It's, it's a little ahead of schedule for me personally. Okay. Uh, but I don't I don't think it's crazy. I mean, it's Zion Williamson, we just waxed poetic about him. He's a 70% foul shooter, so you're not too, too worried about him going to the line if necessary. I just, I went with guys that are a little bit more of a track record and have a that's better... A, that's why I didn't have, feel good and, about it. And have better jump shots. Um, but I don't, I mean, it's a little premature for me, but it's Here, not crazy. Here's my case. I still haven't seen anyone stop him from going to the basket when he really wants to. And I think he is just tapping into that right now. And I just know... Rooting against him in that Sunday game, knowing that he was going to get the ball, I was terrified. Um, he's my three A. My three B was Luca, who I just, <laughs> who my team just lost the game to, because the problem with Luca, he has the LeBron thing too, where he can get to the rim, draw a foul, whatever. But then he also has this crazy save the terrible possession that went sideways, step back three, that he doesn't make until there's two minutes left. Um, and he also has the pass potential. So yeah, Luca was on my list of five. Um, and what scares me, it's, it's a little ridiculous to say, considering he's made a bunch of big ones is not the step back three. You nailed it. What scares me is he gets into that weird area where he's like 12 feet from the rim, which is normally as is like a tough dead zone for a lot of guys. He's just in his office down there. He's going to spin and fake and get you up in the air and find a corner shooter that suddenly pops open or someone's going to cut to the dunker spot. He's, he just gets in an area where it's jail for most guys and he makes plays. And that's what scares me more than the step back three. That's the piece that reminds me of Bird. Yeah. Which is like people, oh, okay, compare the two white guys. It's like the, the fact that Luca pay, plays at that certain pace that he has which is what Bird used to do, right? He would slow the game down. He would slow everybody down to the pace he wanted to be at, and then he would do his stuff. And I think Magic was like that too. Magic did the same thing in the late 80s. He would slow everyone around him down to the pace he wanted to be at, and then he would do whatever he wanted to do. Did you happen to watch Boston-Denver like a week and a half ago? Yeah. You know, that was the game Jokic had like 30 at the half. He had no help, yeah. And Scalabrini was just cackling at every single Jokic basket, cackling. Like, just, they stopped broadcasting the game. They just started laughing at every, because it was so ridiculous. Then they compared him to Larry Bird. Then, I guess people on Twitter got so angry at them for comparing him to Larry Bird, Boston fans, that they literally apologized on the air. Oh, my God. like, we don't, we're sorry, we know Larry Bird, we know, but and it, it was just very, it was a very funny. Uh, yeah, but Jokic is another good example of the slow the game down thing. I just thought it was funny that the fans expect nothing but reverence for their own players and franchise, that just the act of comparing an opposing player to Larry Bird, they felt the need to walk it back on the air. Well, it was Boston. And the the Boston fans are really touchy these days. Between the Celtics collapse, they traded Mookie Betts, Tom Brady. It's tough. It's it's been a flip. (laughs) So I had... I had Zion 3, I had Luka 3B, and then for my five spot, just the way he's playing right now is Embiid. But the thing that scares me about Embiid is sometimes he settles for the exact shot that the defense is delighted he's settling for. When he has those moments where he's like, oh, I'm much bigger and stronger than everybody else. I just feel like he's the most unstoppable guy in the league. And sometimes he realizes that. But it's like his curse in a way is that he can make that crazy shot he made to end that Bulls game. Do you see that shot when he made the 24-foot off one foot wasn't even a three, two guys on him, and it was just his fuck you end of the game. And it was like, 
that's going to make him keep taking shots like that when sometimes maybe those aren't the shots he should be taking. It's a little interesting that we went all size. Um, and I think indicative of the power of sort of a big wing kind of player in these situations. Like how is, the Damian, fouls. how is Damian Lillard given all the shots he's made? Not on either of our lists. Adam it's, sixth. It's, uh, me too. He's, he's right under there. Chris Paul, one of the greatest clutch players of all time, Steph Curry, uh, neither of them made my list. So my five were uh, Durant, LeBron, Luka, and then we differ on the last two. I had Kawhi still. Kawhi's missed a lot of big shots this year, but I think that I think the history speaks for itself. And you're gonna you're going to laugh at me. You're gonna laugh at me. You're gonna roll your eyes. I just want you to when we get off the podcast, look at the numbers in crunch time from Zach the last Levine? no from the <laughs> <laughs> from the last three seasons. Look at them. There's going to be a bunch of these guys, these wings and guards that shoot 30 to 45 percent, you know, nice numbers in crunch time to some not nice numbers. There's going to be one big guy who shoots like 50 percent and has a ton of clutch baskets as much as every guard in the league. And it's the guy you very rightly compared because of this exact thing to Dirk Nowitzki and it's Jokic. And so Jokic was Mm. the other guy on my list. Very fair. That's a good list. The reason I I thought of this topic was... Um, and this is the problem with playing Brooklyn and Brooklyn has one guy we mentioned and Harden probably should have been when we were talking about Dame Curry, we should have mentioned Harden as well. It's just the playoff hangover with him. And then Kyrie is another one who, if he's feeling it is unstoppable. I just, the consistency of it, but he's made one of the biggest, I mean, that's a top five big shot in NBA history in game seven of the 2017 finals top three, maybe I mean, how many shots are bigger than that in history of the league? So we just mentioned like 14 or 15 guys. Yeah. None of them play for Milwaukee. It's it's true. And it's a thing I thought of, and I think I talked about it at the time when they played Brooklyn that game. And it basically became three on three. And it became clear that their three just are not as good at scoring at basketball as the other three guys on the Brooklyn team. And you watch, you came away from that series or that game and you think like, in a series, I just don't think they'll be able to match baskets at the end. Which has been a problem with the Celtics too. Like you'd think like the Celtics in that Toronto series, Lowry and Van Vliet are going toe to toe with their best guys. Um, in the Miami series, it's all these one point games and they can't pull these games out. You need these guys. And you're right about Jokic. Jokic should be on there. But um, Well, Tatum should make a run at one of these spots soon, right? I mean, Tatum's made it. Even the other day against Dallas, Tatum made a couple of big shots. Like he's it's built a shot to be, selection. He, yeah, it's he's a shot built to be this thing. kind of player. It's the shot selection, the combo of needing to get to the basket a little bit more. My dark horse for this conversation is uh, Sabonis on Indiana. Okay. <laughs> I do, dark, I do feel like horse. he gets really good shots at the end of games, especially uh, in the last 20 seconds with that Zion play. Now I want to pick a dark horse. Like a random guy that I really well, the dark trust horse, The ultimate games. dark horse is Rogier. <laughs> we, did, we did name Rogier. Rogier is, um, I feel weirdly confident when he has the ball with like eight seconds left on my on my adopted Charlotte Charlotte Hornets. Kawhi was a good one. I I should have thought. I didn't even. To me, it just doesn't look like he's at the same level he was those first couple rounds in uh, 2019. But I know statistically he is. I'm just saying I test. He's missed a lot. He, his crunch time numbers this year are bad. He's missed a lot of big. I mean, big regular season you can only get so big, but he's missed a lot of. Big ish. Is it 
Shots. Is it an overreaction to say he doesn't have quite the same lift that he had two years ago? Because I don't feel like that's an overreaction. I feel like he's like almost like his shoes seem heavier. I go back and forth on it. I thought early in the season he looked heavy and people with the Clippers assured me he was not heavy. And then he started to look more like himself again. And then there are days where I feel the same, it's the same sensation you just described. So I'm just sort of TBD until, you know, maybe there's just, it depends how he feels that day or how much he cares about the game or whatever. But there are games where I feel like, there are definitely games that I watch even now where I feel like, oh, that mid-range jumper was a little little better contested. Little f- like not, yeah. not as clean as, as it usually is. Before How about we go, Jamal look, Murray? Can we put Jamal Murray as an under? He's not a he's not a, a dark horse guy. He's made so many big shots. Definitely not doing that this season. Wait Before till the playoffs, we go. Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. You know, puts on the cape in the playoffs. Goes in the phone booth. Kyle Lowry. Oh and boy. A contract for Danny Green, Mike Scott, Tyrese Maxey, contract. And a 2022 first. So basically Maxi in a first. Yeah. Maxi in a bad first. And then you flip green. For the greatest Danny player. Green is just for getting greatest, traded for everybody. For the greatest player in the history of the franchise. Yeah, but you know Masai has no loyalty to anybody. I think... I, I don't think that's a lot for Kyle Lowry. I think well, the have, problem is he makes thirty million. Yeah, so they're going to have going to be really hard. They're going to have trouble, and all these teams have traded. All these contenders have traded all their picks already. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to be had. And few of them have young players that are as enticing as Maxi. So that's that's a that's not that's not bad. I mean, a couple of things have to happen, right? Like one, Toronto has to conclude we don't have a deep run in us this year. And the Tampa thing cannot be understated. I know you've talked about it on your pod, oh. or overstated. I know you talked about it in your pod that that that's such a shitty way to spend a season where you're not even home. Yeah, you know, and they don't have a center. And yeah, it's I, interesting I just don't think Nurse, they're that talented. It's interesting that Nurse has just decided I'm starting Siakam, or to, you want to call Ananobi the center because he guards a lot of the centers, whatever. Like he's just I'm dispensing with the centers in our starting lineup completely. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think it would take. I didn't think he would get there this early or if, if ever. And he got there pretty early. And it will also take Kyle saying, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to leave. And these are three or th- here's my list of teams. If you can accommodate it. The thing is, as you pointed out earlier in the, in the pod, like he won the title. He doesn't have the same urgency to go join a contender. I was just, there was some Lowry buzz today and, and I was just looking at all the teams and really that's Philly's the only team that makes sense. If, if there's eight, nine contenders, whatever you call it, unless you were going to throw Denver at me, it would be the other one. And Denver, Porter's not on the table, obviously, but if you did the, uh, you know, a Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a pick, something like that, you could add up and get to Kyle Lowry range. Can you cobble, can you cobble some Miami salary and give me enough in there that I'm interested if I'm Toronto? I can't because uh, the league ruled that illegal for him to play on Miami because the amount of heat culture stories, we'd actually, <laughs> they'd have to shut down the league. <laughs> You're not a believer? You're a heat culture, hashtag heat culture? No, I am. A, culture I, am a, I like the heat culture. I'm just saying like the amount of people talking about Kyle Lowry, heat culture, Jimmy Butler, oh, let's Udonis and just, uh, it would be a never ending uh, slew of things. So you would say Dragic is in that trade then? I'm just thinking, I don't have this, this thing in front of me. I'm just thinking in my head, what's going to make it worth Miami's while 
are they really going to trade Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry at age 35 or whatever on an expiring contract? I, I don't think so. Achuba? I, I, they have stuff there that could maybe. They are, I believe Bobby Marks has told me probably nine times in the last two years that Miami could free themselves up to trade a first-round pick if they change their protections on one of the picks maybe that they have outgoing or something like that. So I think they could put something in. Um, I just know Miami at 15 and 17, having just made the finals and having a superstar, whatever you can see of Jimmy Butler, who's I think 30, they're not going to just sit on their rest on their laurels as, as old people say, um, this, season. you know, what would be funny if they traded Dragic, precious, Harkless, Lowry, like, you know, and Toronto saved 6 million bucks, the whole thing, but then Dragic is awesome on Toronto. <laughs> it's like, Oh shit. Toronto's not dead yet. What happened? And Philly acquiring Lowry, and again, just to make clear, I have no reporting, but there was a report out today that the Sixers are interested. That's the only reason we're talking about it. It was not yes. a report by either of us. It was in the You're Philadelphia so Inquirer. The um, Lowry to Daryl Morey's team would be like the poetic end of the like the James Harden trade coming full circle because yeah. Lowry for that draft pick was was one of the crown jewels in the what became the James Harden trade. It's a great point. So the thing for me with Lowry. If Philly somehow pulled that off and they have the picks, right? They could maxi, they could add the contracts, they could throw in maybe even two first rounders if they wanted to get super serious. Harris, Ben Simmons, Embiid, Seth Curry, Kyle Lowry, and Crunch Time. It's exciting. I kind of like that team. Kyle Lowry is awesome. I mean, people now give him his respect, but that guy is has been awesome at basketball for a long time. He's a perfect fit for any team that has other guys who need and want the ball because he doesn't care. He'll just make the right play all the time. He's a great defensive player. Um, yeah, they'd be really good. Um, they I, would put they would vault themselves into true blue championship contention. I still remember when Daryl traded for Kyle Lowry for like nothing from Memphis. From Memphis, yeah. And texting him, just be like, you motherfucker, how the hell did you get Kyle Lowry? <laughs> like, what the hell? That was when... It, the late 2000s when players just were given away that we all knew were good. And now now I think those trades are much less hard to come by. Don't you feel like we still don't know the whole story of what happened with Philly and Harden? Were they just a stalking horse to drive up Brooklyn's price? Was Houston ever actually interested? Did Houston ask for too much in addition to Simmons? Like there's just so much, so many competing theories. I feel like I don't know if all of them are true. Some of them are true. And no one's going to tell the truth for like five years. There's not theories. There's two versions of the truth. This is a good thing to end on, and then we'll go. One theory is that the deal was done. Philly thought it was done, and then Houston shopped the finished deal, basically. Brooklyn panicked and did it. The other theory is that Houston was never trading with Philly, dragged them along as a stalking horse, um, and that there was some uh, some Fertitta, Daryl stuff that prohibited Houston from ever actually trading Harding. To Philly. But we both have the same intel, and I know Rosillo does, and some other people that there was a point during that day when Philly thought they were getting James Harden. That we know. Place for the Nets now. It's a great what if. Zach Lowe, I'll be on your podcast in two weeks, the low post. But until then, it was great to see you. Um, I'm sorry I broke your brain a couple times. And uh, I love it. That's why I come on the pod. Say hi to the fam.
Always good to see you. All right, that's it for this week's last BS podcast. If you want to hear more from me, you can hear me on the Sports Cards Nonsense Show this week. You can hear me twice on Ringer Dish talking about Aaron Rodgers and Shailene Woodley on Jam Session, as well as breaking down the challenge, Double Agents, with Dave Jacoby, which we do every Wednesday on Ringer Dish. Also, we did new rewatchables this week, Neighbors, the Zac Efron, Seth Rogen movie. So that's happening as well. And we have another rewatchables coming on Monday. Stay tuned. For that, be back on Sunday night on this feed. Enjoy the weekend. See you then.